0: Roaming on Campus, Episode 2. In this episode, I'm joined with computing student Sam Lim as we explore BJJ, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Boom, we are recording. Roaming on Campus, Episode 2. Welcome, welcome. My name's Kenny. And today I'm joined with my first guest officially for a full episode this time. He studies computing, just like me. He's apparently from many different places. America, Cambridge, Hong Kong. Samuel Leem, welcome. Hi, glad to be here.
1: Thank you for coming on. And how have you been, Sam? It's been a while um i've been pretty good i haven't seen you in ages since might have been my birthday actually but i've been good i've been doing my industrial placement um all remotely now and haven't been doing jujitsu funnily enough but i'm glad to catch up with you here on your brand new podcast kenny i'm i'm really grateful to be your first guest Mm,
0: sounds grand and yeah i remember the last time we were together. We got drunk watching Tommy Wiseau's *The Room*, an amazing time. <laughs> amazing and were you the movie? Yeah, yeah. And where are you currently based? Are you down in Cambridge?
1: Uh, so I'm staying with my mom, and we are in uh, Suffolk. So we're not not quite in Cambridge, but kind of forty minutes away by by car. And I'm in the English countryside, which is mm. really. Just been very nice. And I'm staying here with my girlfriend, which is extra nice. So I'm having a good time.
0: Nice, nice. Yeah, that sounds really rosy. And I'm guessing you've been working from home because I understand you're on an industrial placement.
1: Uh yeah, all remotely now. Yeah. Working for uh DRW for this for the summer.
0: Hmm. Yeah, it's really cool that they managed to pivot into that remote kind of scheme and not having to stop your
1: placement. Mm-hmm. Lucky, lucky me.
0: Mm. You know what, Sam? You're actually one of the baddest mofos I've <laughs> ever met <laughs> in my life. You're so unsuspecting, so humble, so nice. But at the same time, I know and you know that you could break every one of my limbs on any given day of the week, Monday, Wednesday, Thursday, even Saturdays when I'm all rested. And we know that's for your Brazilian jiu-jitsu. So before we dive into it a bit further, I guess I'll I'll give like a brief overview on what jiu-jitsu is and then get your take on it. Okay. So I understand Brazilian jiu-jitsu to be a grappling martial art. Which consists of taking a fight to the ground. And then through leveraging and controlling your opponent, you get them into certain positions whereby they cannot escape easily. And then from there, you create submissions. And submissions can range from arm locks, knee locks, wrist locks, a lot of different kinds of locks, as well as chokes. And the whole idea of BJJ. Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, is that it's an equalizer. It was meant for the smaller guy to be able to take on larger opponents without necessarily getting their ass whooped. Now, obviously, you're further down the line in the Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu journey than me. So, yeah, what do you understand about BJJ? What is it to you? And how did you get
1: into it? So I think that you're... A description of BJJ is, is excellent. The only thing I would add is that it was originally designed um, kind of generally as self-defense and that it's closely related to judo. Um, but besides that, the main point is that it's how regardless, well, aiming to kind of make up for any kind of physical disadvantage you have to, to use your Um, kind of like your intellectual prowess and your technique and your training, you can overcome any kind of physical disadvantage. So there are lots of BJJ competitions, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu competitions, where um, there's a category called absolute. And usually uh, martial arts competitions, you're split off into weight classes, so you fight people of roughly the same size and so on. Just because, you know, fair is fair. You don't want to fight some guy who's way bigger than you. But the crazy thing about BJJ is that in these absolute competitions where there's no weight class and anyone from any size can can join, it's definitely not always the biggest guy who wins. In fact, it's, you know, maybe it's 30, you know, maybe it's 60%, 65% of the time. The, the the bigger guys win, but not always. In fact there've been like some really long reigning champions that were smaller than me and I'm not a particularly large guy. So yeah, and um so that's what I thought was always really awesome about jujitsu. And that's what my dad thought was really awesome about jujitsu and that's why he joined. He's a smaller guy. But hmm. he can totally he's like a quite a lot smaller guy. He's five six, maybe he's not that heavy, maybe he's sixty 66 pounds or something i mean 66 kilos which is really pretty small i think he's considered like just about a lightweight in terms <laughs> of the bjj weight classes but he can yeah. totally still throw down with all the young kids and like still kick my ass every so often so that's why i think it's really cool about jiu-jitsu mm.
0: yeah. that's awesome and you and your dad both started at the same time right but I'm guessing you must have been fairly young, so wasn't able to take it as seriously as your dad.
1: Yeah. So we started maybe 12 years ago um, together. My dad took it way more seriously than I did. I was, you know, doing other sports at the time. And unfortunately, at the gym, there were, well, at this point, I was really young. I was like 10 or something. So it was not really that fun for me to be doing jujitsu with really grown big sweaty adults so I (laughs) I wasn't super into it but I got into it much later maybe when I was 16 with my and I got my friends to join with me and and then I've been uh, pretty serious about it since so he's now advanced way past me and now he's he's almost a black belt which is the highest level you can be and I'm just a blue belt which is the second high which is the second level after beginner belt Mm. so it's been a long journey but you know I've loved it every moment
0: In any case, being a blue belt is a pretty big deal because with Brazilian jiu-jitsu, you don't actually grade that often. I mean, in between the color belts, you do get like stripes every set months here and there. But to get to the next belt, you're looking at at least a few years on each, right?
1: Yeah, definitely. I would say that, I would say one and a half to two years per belt, probably. And then as as you get more advanced, those that distance becomes even larger
0: hmm and so when you first started to get into it or your first couple of sessions what does a beginner what can a beginner expect to pick up
1: at the beginning i would say you know your very first session you're going to pick up on how humble you are you know because <laughs> <laughs> the, th- the crazy thing is um, how easy it is for people to be scared away at this moment because they come in, and then they're basically shown a few moves. And then the tradition in practicing Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu is at the end of the class you spar. A big part of Jiu-Jitsu is sparring, which is you know mm. basically controlled. We fighting. call it rolling, right? Yeah, we call it rolling. But you know, sparring. You know, you spar in boxing and everything, but you spar in Jiu-Jitsu all the time you know it's it's a huge component of of jujitsu in general and it's probably why it's an effective martial art because people can you know practice their moves on each other in a in this in like a somewhat realistic but also controlled environment so mm. you find out then if you don't mind getting regularly choked out or regularly be put into a putting your getting your arm put into like an arm lock all the time and you know maybe getting um, winded a bit because you're you're wrestled to the ground all the time, and that's the biggest takeaway I say. And then and then after that, that's you know people either decide that's not for them, they can't handle it, or that they hate being getting their ass handed to them, and they need to figure out exactly how that was done to them and why, you know, and how to prevent it from happening again, and how to do that to other people. So then they come again to the next class, and so on.
0: Mm. Yeah, I think at this point in my jiu-jitsu journey and even fairly early on, I think it did become a sort of a no-brainer that, yeah, you are going to have to tap. You are going to get put in submissions that you can't escape. You are going to get held down because otherwise you're either just fighting people that aren't very good or people are being too soft on you. And you're right. I think that humility, that needs to be picked up fairly quickly. But I do find that even though BJJ is this equalizer where the smaller guy has a chance against a bigger opponent, I do see that early on with different white belts, usually the more athletic the opponent, the stronger, the bigger he is, the more likely he's going to be able to take down or submit a smaller person, at least until they begin to progress more. Did you have that kind of vibe? or Do you see that?
1: Yeah, of course. Of course. I mean, although that's the that's the aim of jujitsu, it's it's not perfect. You know, so if assuming that two people are roughly equal skill, obviously the larger guy will win. And even if I'm ten percent bigger than you and your technique is ten percent better than mine, I might still be you. But there's no you know, that discrepancy can be made up. You know, if your technique you know, for example, if you worked on your technique even more and you were quicker and you utilized your moves better than than I did and you it's totally possible that you could defeat me in like a, in a competition this there's, there's definitely there's I mean this is definitely not an unheard of situation is it always eventually can be made up with by better technique but obviously since I'm a I am a larger guy I'm not super big but I'm a somewhat big guy pretty athletic I I can I can kind of give people the wrong message, but I try and use as little of my um, size to to try and um in jujitsu so that I don't so I use actual technique because that's where the real difference is, is the technique. Mm.
0: Yeah, because eventually you'll end up fighting someone who's as big as you. Not fighting but rolling sparring. And they'll be as big as you, maybe maybe even bigger. So that strength simply won't apply in that situation. And that is when you need the skill. That's when you need to have actually mastered the actual techniques and not just rely on inherent
1: abilities, right? Exactly. There'll always be a bigger gorilla. You know, even <laughs> if you're the biggest guy and there's an even, even bigger guy, then you're just going to lose. Mm.
0: Bigger gorilla. I like mm-hmm. that. Yeah. So you yeah. yeah, what? tell us some of the basic like moves or positions which are expected of a white belt stuff like guards and mounts and chokes.
1: So, um, I mean, I would say the main positions are, um, open or guard where, um, I mean, it's hard to describe, um, on audio but it's basically like um, <laughs> you're, you're on your back and then your opponent is, is um, has been wrapped in, you know, by, your, by your legs and they're on the ground facing you. So they're kind of on your knees and you're on your back and then you have your legs wrapped around his waist or their waist and that's guard. And that's, this mm-hmm. is an important position because although you are on your back and the guy's over you, you know, he's kind of hanging over you, it's considered to be actually a position that is somewhat advantageous for the guy on the ground even though the guy who's um who's kind of upright um your opponent can can totally just rain down hell on you punch you in the face a lot but there are a lot of, there's so many moves that you can use to your advantage to try and um kind of shake him around you know maybe you you make it so that he falls over onto his side or onto his back so that you can get on top of him. And then if you're on top of him, then you can punch him in the face or you can submit him some other way or you can submit him from guard. So that's a big position. And then there's mount where you're just – he, your opponent is just lying down on the ground and you are just basically sitting on his stomach um, with uh, – you're just sitting on him um, so you can just – kind of destroy him and just <laughs> have your way. And then another big position is side control, where you are perpendicular to your opponent and your chest is on his chest and you're kind of pinning him to the ground. And then there's back, which is where you're behind your opponent and your legs are hooked onto his lap. And then you are sick you've secured kind of his torso with your arms in a way such that your you're, you're sternum and your chest is glued to the center of his back and that's very advantageous because it's really hard for him to defend himself. Um, actually what the main move that you would do is you would you would choke him out you'd use a rear naked choke so a rear naked choke is you're behind him and then you choke him out it's called a rear naked choke because you're behind him rear naked because you don't need to use any kind of equipment and both of you can be naked and you can still choke them out because <laughs> in jujitsu you can you can do it with a with a uniform on, but you don't necessarily have to do it with a uniform on. Um, and it's also called, um, I think it's called uh, killing the lion or something like that. Because if you were fighting something with fangs, you'd want to get its back so that it couldn't bite you. So yeah, so you choke them out like that. So those are the big those are the big positions in jiu-jitsu for sure.
0: Mm. And then.
1: Before you even reach the ground, we do a lot of stand-up work, which is like just traditional wrestling and judo, which is just you know lots of throws and um, wrestling, basically.
0: Mm. Yeah, I guess there is that overlap with judo with uh, taking opponents to the ground. But with your experience, did you find you had to be as experienced as a judo guy in throws or? Is it a bit more dumbed down in BJJ?
1: No, no, no. It's uh, I would say it's actually much less dumbed down in BJJ. Although we spend less of the time um, doing wrestling and you know judo judo sparring and kind of stand-up sparring, um, because the rules as to how you take someone down are so much more relaxed in jiu-jitsu, there are a lot more things you need to pay attention for. So in judo... Um, um, over the years they've added so many rules now where it's kind of it, there, there are a lot of restrictions on it now. So I, I occasionally used to go to, well, I occasionally go to judo classes just because I enjoy judo and I'm also a long time judo player. But over the years, because I do jujitsu, I I end up doing things that are considered illegal in judo now. (laughs) For example, you're not allowed to, you're not allowed to touch their legs, where in reality, if you're in a if you're in a fight or you're doing jujitsu, right, if you can grab their legs and kind of trip them up, you will. You'll, that's like an excellent strategy. Mm. So I would say in jujitsu, because the rules are more relaxed, you got to pay attention more, and it's more dynamic. It's not just about you know keeping the same grips all the time and you know trying to go for the same few kind of moves like sweeps or hip throws. There's more to it. So yeah.
0: yeah. So all these kind of rules that get applied, like you can't do this, you can't do that, is it often for safety reasons or to just give a different vibe to the sport?
1: Um, so I think it's to give a different vibe to the sport. So I, I, I admit I'm not a huge judo guy anymore and I don't know a ton about the topic, but I would say what I heard was that um, a long time ago, Judo and jujitsu, well Jiu-Jitsu today and judo a long time ago were basically the same. But over the years, judo has evolved because they wanted to become a better spectator sport. And frankly, jujitsu is not a not a great spectator sport. So in judo, mm. you have these crazy throws, you know, you can see people being thrown over their opponent, and it's it's pretty fun and incredible to watch, and it's very quick, lightning fast. But then when they reach the ground, it's kind of, you know, it's over within 30 seconds, I think. I think that's literally the limit. You're only allowed to be on the ground, both of you on the ground, for 30 seconds or something. So I think that they add a lot more rules to make it more flashy and a better spectator sport for the Olympics. And it is. But that makes it, you know, more restrictive and more like a sport as opposed to uh, a martial art, I suppose.
0: Mm. I see that. And yeah, you're right. With Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, you do kind of need to have a sort of a background into being able to watch it and understand what's going on. As you mentioned, with the guard position, where you're at the bottom, your opponent's on top, but you've got your legs wrapped around their torso. To someone who doesn't know what's going on, it may look as if the guy below is going to get smashed, where in fact, he's about to pull off some choke or arm lock. So yeah. It does require a bit of a technical know how into it. But I feel like even with BJJ, some things do get restricted. For example, I know spine locks are generally not allowed anywhere Mm -hmm. in competitions. And if you did that at a club, then you could be asked to leave. So, what I'm asking is how do the more experienced Jiu Jitsu practitioners learn these moves which aren't allowed? How do they pick it up? Because obviously, if you ask a BJJ black belt to show you this move, there's a very good chance they'll know how to pull it off.
1: So um, I would say spine lock in particular is kind of just a no-no. So there there are a lot of moves which are um, just just, uh, not allowed in competition and kind of depending on the gym and the gym at all because they are relatively dangerous. This could be because... um, it requires so little force to be dangerous. So, you know, you could just apply it a little bit, but it could be enough to hurt someone badly. So, you know, in the heat of the moment, you might just do maybe like a really small movement you might hurt someone. So there are a lot of those moves. Um, or it's because a lot of the time, it's hard for the person receiving the being submitted to really feel what's happening until it's kind of already too late. So that those like ankle locks are kind of dicey sometimes. So um, the thing, the way it works is that a lot of those restrictions get uh, removed as your belt gets higher. And as your belt gets higher, you you are kind of taught those moves, but to be but you're kind of told you know use it sparingly and t- really try not to use it on anyone with a lower belt than you because they they probably don't see it coming but you are eventually taught a lot of them but I, I think that you know maybe spinal locks in particular are not allowed but a lot of you know uh, leg locks are taught later on and wrist locks are taught later on, but they are taught eventually yeah as you mm. as you as you increase in your rank
0: I see so bit by bit like a... Uh trip feed eventually you do begin to see the full picture of everything which jiu-jitsu can encompass even the forbidden stuff yeah kind of yeah nice and so what was your progression like going from white belt to blue belt what kind of things did you like struggle with or have to pick up what were your main focuses how did you sort of get to
1: where you're at now Um, I would say when I started taking it seriously, it was that I had to be more deliberate about my technique and I actually had to try more techniques. So it's really easy to feel very comfortable in a certain position. You know, I can say I feel really comfortable in guard, but then what happens if you're not in guard? You know, are you going to be able to are you going to be able to still dominate your opponent or are you are just going to freak out because you don't do it enough? So I mm. had to basically pay a lot more attention to the different positions I wasn't used to and try and improve my, my whole list of techniques so that I was more aware of everything that was going on as opposed to just whenever we were sparring instead of just kind of chilling out and having fun. I also had to, I should really have, been trying out the new moves that I've been taught or putting myself into positions I don't feel as comfortable with. So I think that was a big learning moment for me. And then um, the funny thing was that I had been a white belt for a long time, I think maybe eight or nine years. And then mm-hmm. I was promoted when I was 18. So an important note is that when, if you're below 16, you're not allowed to be promoted. Past, you're not allowed to be promoted to blue belt. You mm-hmm. know, a lot of people are immediately promoted to blue belt because they're at a blue belt level. But I was kind of not taking it super seriously, but and I had only accumulated enough skill that I required for a blue belt when I was 18. And then shortly after being promoted, I actually went to competition. So that was a big learning thing for me, and that was a lot about. um I did lots of kids' competitions, but I never competed as a blue belt. Or as an adult, because I was 18. So that was really interesting. And that was a big learning moment for me, um, being a blue belt, because it was just a lot more technical. You know, people use techniques more, as we as we describe, because they're so important, more because it really is the difference to um, you winning or not, because you can only, because if you're really violent, you're going to get tired. And it mm. might not even work, because if your jujitsu is bad, you'll probably still just lose. So that was a big thing for me because I was like I've always a pretty big guy, I played rugby. I never really thought too much about it. But now I've been trying to get more technical and improve my techniques more. That was my mm. big thing.
0: Nice. I want to delve into competitions a bit more. But just to backtrack a bit, you were saying that you'd often get comfortable being uncomfortable. So during your rolling and sparring sessions, you'd focus on moves which you weren't so great at. So did you do like one move at a time become a master of that move which you're bad at? Or did you like mix it up session, session by session and then over time you you just gradually became pretty competent at a range of things? Because I know this black belt guy and I think he said something like he spent six months just focusing on the side control. And he's got a master side control. Like if he puts you in side control, you're not going to escape. But With you, did you more like go for a Jack of all trades kind of thing, or did you do that kind of thing as well?
1: Um, I think I did more of a day by day kind of thing. So every day I would, well, every time I didn't train every day, but every time I trained and I did a class, um, the format of the class is you warm up, um, you do some basic drilling moves. So drilling is this kind of repetitive muscle memory training so you do really simple things um just to get warm a bit kind of as well and then you do some techniques so you you're taught you know some moves for the day some new moves new techniques for the day and then something i would always try and do is whenever after the technique you do sparring and when we were sparring i'd always try and use the technique that we'd learned from this for the day so actually Mm. that's something i've introduced that i really like is that you know, you want to try and encourage people to do new stuff all the time and be trying out new techniques. So every time, um, whenever I'm, like, helping teach a class, I always tell, I always say that the person who uses the technique um, that they learn that day, their opponent needs to do five, like, ten push-ups or something. Just so that they're really, <laughs> you know, they're really trying to get each other take it seriously and try and learn new techniques. So that was my big thing. And then also, since my dad does jiu-jitsu, sometimes he would just come in for an hour and he would just help me with the moves I feel really uncomfortable in. And we would kind of, um, we would do a lot of sparring where we would start off in that position I, I was not very good at. Mm. And that would, that would help me, you know, give me some time and practice with the moves I'm, you know, in the positions I'm not so good at. So mm. those were my main, those were my main strategies.
0: Nice and a bit of an unrelated topic. I like C++. I'm pretty good with C++. I spent like six months doing this project with C++. so I've known it quite well. But the Mm -hmm. thing is, I've not used it for coming to a year and a bit now in a serious format. So I wouldn't be able to remember a lot of the more finer things like templates or that kind of thing. And so do you feel like with BJJ that if you don't train over time, you get more rusty with certain things, you forget certain moves or are you at a point now where even after taking some time off, you could immediately be able to demonstrate this and this and that?
1: Um, I would say for me, it was always quite strange because I always was still able to be, I always seem to not forget very much from my core game. So as I said before, you, you got lots of positions you feel very comfortable with. Those positions I always feel pretty solid even if I haven't been training for a long time. Yeah. Mm. So I've got a lot of muscle memory there and I have some good reflexes that keep me still kind of, you know, pretty dangerous when I'm, when I'm sparring even if I haven't been training for a long time.
0: Nice, nice. So Jiu-Jitsu is ingrained into your system. 100%. And so tell us a bit, yeah, that's awesome. So tell us a bit about competitions, like what happens during the competitions. Is it just like rolling in a class? Is it a bit more intense? How did you fare?
1: Um, so I think I've competed three or f- three or four times now in jiu-jitsu. Um, it is, it's, well, it depends on how seriously you take rolling, but I don't take rolling that seriously. I'm. I try and do this thing where I'm always breathing through my nose, so I'm taking it. I'm going pretty light. I'm trying to stay technical because there are a lot of people where they try and use their full force when they spar, and I just I'm not. You know, I don't feel like I can practice my technique as much, Um, and I might hurt someone because I'm a bigger guy. But when you're doing a competition, that's totally different, actually. So, you know, if you're someone who, when you spar, you go hard take it seriously you go hard you know then maybe you know it's about the same but then if but you feel like me then you gotta then you can really go all out but you it's also important to realize that these competitions depend on your level you're fighting your opponent for up to 10 minutes you know so that it's really you know it's it's weird you're allowed to use as much power as you are physically able to but like boxing you know You got to have some good endurance going on, not nearly as good as boxing, but you got to have, you know, you have to have good conditioning and everything. So, in that Mm. way, it's very different. But otherwise, you know, besides the physical exertion, I would say it's basically the same. You know, it's not like I'm doing any kind of different moves just because I'm sparring. I mean, just because I'm in competition, I'm not going to, if anything, I'm going to stick to the comfortable moves because I feel most comfortable with them um, to like execute faster on my opponent yeah otherwise it's all the same
0: mm. nice nice and yeah I've not actually taken part in any BJJ competitions myself I was going to do one last year October but then I pushed it out because I was too busy so I hadn't been training consistently <laughs> mm-hmm. but that's no excuse come on <laughs> I know I know but there was a judo tournament a couple of years ago which I did go to and full disclaimer I got bronze I lost like 4 matches nice. But in two of the games, which I did win, one guy tried to like throw me. He turned his back on me Mm -hmm. and then he tried to do like an overthrow over his shoulder. And then I took him to the ground and then I climbed onto his back and then turned around and and applied the worst rear naked choke you will ever see. (laughs) But the guy tapped. (laughs)
1: Nice. I like it.
0: And yeah, I felt that just goes to show that with BJJ. You can surprise some of the judo players.
1: Oh, hundred percent, yeah, hundred percent, yeah. Mm. Uh, yeah. It seems like whenever I do judo, whenever I go to like a judo class, they're always surprised at all the crazy stuff I do, because they're not used to seeing all kinds of submissions <laughs> in judo. Because although you are allowed, as you said, to do some submissions, they're not. They're really not focused as much, when really. You know, you're doing, you're going for a throw, and you turn your back to the guy for a second. You really could get choked out. So, I think they should pay more attention to submissions. Honestly,
0: Mm. it was actually you that got me into BJJ because obviously in first year I did a lot of judo, and you'd occasionally turn up. And with judo, like you said, there is an element of ground fighting, not as much as BJJ, but it still exists. And so during our sessions, we did get to spar on the ground. And usually, even though I was a white belt, I was still able to like hang with some of the higher belts and they wouldn't immediately choke me out or put me in a position where I couldn't escape. I'd be able to fare quite well, except against black belts who just destroy me. And then (laughs) one day you came and I was like, hey, Sam's wearing a white belt. (laughs) This should be all right. And then you just absolutely battered me. It's like I couldn't (laughs) do anything. You just kept submitting me, holding me. And there was one point actually where you were about to pull off and some kind of arm lock, and then Glenn, the coach, is like, "Oh no, you can't do that. You've got to let him roll," because within that position I was in, I could have rolled to escape. And I think you yeah. were just like, "Almost I think. Yeah, you were blocking me from rolling, but I wasn't even aware that I could have rolled to escape that. And mm-hmm. yeah, you really just got me to see the beauty of that ground fighting how technical it is and once you become fairly competent you can do a lot of badass stuff
1: (laughs) I'm glad yeah it's not just people lying on top of other people yeah you can totally you can totally dominate someone just even if you keep your knees on the ground the whole time
0: Mm. so obviously there's the Imperial BJJ Society tell us a bit about that I believe it started a couple of years ago Then we gradually began to move it into the Imperial campus. And I understand you sometimes help out with running sessions.
1: Yeah. So, wow, it must have been a while ago, but there was this I don't remember if it was, I think it was two years ago in first year. Mm. Yeah. So, in first year, towards the end of first year, towards the end of first year, um, there was this small group of Imperial students led by these two um, math students in the year above us who uh, organized some private lessons at a a gym, a jiu-jitsu gym, BJJ gym in in Vauxhall. And then we would do that every so often, but unfortunately that was unsustainable because uh, just because of pricing and kind of people not showing up all the time and Kind of we didn't get enough momentum, we didn't get enough constant people coming. And then following that, we found another instructor um, who would come in to the university and give us lessons every so often, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But I don't really remember the timeline now. Yeah, and then we would do and then we would train kind of at a discounted rate in the university in university gym facilities. And then following that, I think that it kind of died out for a while. And then later on, somewhat recently, this past year, the Imperial Jiu-Jitsu Society, which was actually a Japanese Jiu-Jitsu Society at Imperial, kind of took over or merged with the Imperial Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Society. So they were taking over. Ironic. (laughs) Yeah. And then the... um, there was the same instructor would come and give us lessons. And then later on, the Imperial Jiu-Jitsu Society became a both combined Jiu-Jitsu and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Society where I am the, I think my title is the Jiu-Jitsu, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu coordinator. Mm. So yeah, now we run, well, we were running one session a week. And we got a, actually, it was really good. We were getting maybe 10 people every session or something, or maybe eight to 10 people every session, which was definitely a a good healthy number.
0: Yeah, those are good numbers. Enough people to get some diversity in who you're sparring with. And is it usually a gi or no gi class? How does it work?
1: So it used to be, so a gi is kind of like the Judo uniform, so it looks like a kimono, except the material is really rough and it's really grippable. can't say
0: the word kimono, Sam. Too much jargon, define it, please. Too much jargon, okay.
1: (laughs) It's like a robe, it's like a robe. It's like a bathrobe, kind of. Honestly, that's really that's made out of very tough material. Um, it's a traditional, pretty traditional garb, I suppose. Where um, a lot of disciplines, Japanese disciplines, will wear it when they do martial arts. So karate, they have something very similar. Um, taekwondo, not Japanese, but a similar offshoot, you know, similar kind of deal. Judo mm. they use a kimono, uh, use a gi. And jujitsu use a gi as well. Um, but you can also do jujitsu with no gi, and you kind of just wear workout clothes to do that. So for the long time, we were doing no gi, but now we've transitioned to doing gi. Yeah. Hmm. So it's only a gi class every week.
0: Cool, cool. And do you think ultimately in a jiu-jitsu journey that it matters too much, whether you focus solely on gi or no gi, or do they all just join up to the same destination
1: as time goes on? Um, so I think that's an, I think that's a cool point. That honestly, I don't actually know myself, but I I would say personally, because I I um, I used to have a serious phobia of sweat. So when you do, <laughs> so okay. the thing is, I know it's a bit it's a bit strange, especially since my sport is just hugging essentially hugging someone to death Mm. you did Um,
0: rugby as well which is definitely i did rugby as well it's a (laughs) lot of
1: sweat but um the the thing is with if you wear a gi and you do jujitsu all your sweat stays within your gi you know it's all blocked off there's not a lot of free exposed skin maybe you drip some forehead sweat onto someone else Mm. um but if you do no gi then it's like kind of it's so can get so sweaty it's slippery but the thing is you're whether you use a gi or no gi, your techniques there's a lot of overlap. So I think if you're a better gi player, your ju- you no gi is probably pretty good. If you're a good no gi player, I bet your gi game's pretty good. So I would say it's a good combination. If you if you do jujitsu for self defense, then you probably want to spend more time doing no gi though, because mm-hmm. you know if you're if you're caught out and someone attacks you, good chance you're not wearing a gi. So yeah. Mm. For-
0: Fair enough. And I guess that's where the rear naked choke comes into hand, when there is no gi.
1: Yeah, exactly.
0: So obviously, just putting it forward, October, November, December, what do you think will be the states of the society? What with COVID, do you think it's possible to start opening the class? Because obviously, social distancing isn't a thing in Brazilian jiu-jitsu, unless, you know, Jedi mind Yeah,
1: exactly. Um, so we've put ourselves down for a couple sessions in a week. Um, and I, I, you know, it's being processed by the union. So we don't know, you know, what times we're getting. And with social distancing, it depends on if we'll even be allowed to, um, you know, allowed by the union and allowed by, uh, the university to, continue on with martial arts where this social distancing is impossible so i guess it's Mm. kind of we're at the mercy of the union um i feel like it's better to be safe than sorry to be honest although i do love jujitsu, so i've been uh you know but i'm keeping my hopes up and i and whatever happens it'll almost certainly be back in january where we can continue i can continue uh Trying to get you to come do jujitsu with me. <laughs> think, you know, you can help me teach the class. That'd be good.
0: Awesome. So, oh, by the way, I don't think I'm at the teaching level yet, but we'll see. We'll see. <laughs> yeah,
1: you can be my dummy. Yeah, I'll be your dummy. You. Yeah.
0: yeah, just treat me like a ragdoll for the entire session.
1: I so do that anyway. You...
0: Yeah, you do. You do. What would you say to someone who hasn't yet experienced jiu-jitsu and is maybe receptive of giving it a try? what advice would you give being at the position you're at now?
1: I would say that, um, you know, go out to your, well, if it's now, then I would say, you know, stay inside and maybe watch uh, this guy called Cayo So C A O C A I O. sorry. Wait, let me just make sure I know it's fair. Cayo Yeah. C-A-I-O. Mm T-E-R-R-A. So he's this really small um, Brazilian guy. And maybe just watch some of his clips where he is doing jujitsu on YouTube. And he's like the small guy. He's 56 kilos, but he is basically one of the greatest of all time, I'd say. Because he's like a small guy, but he dominated in absolute for a long time. And actually a famous Mm -hmm. story is that he's like extremely inflexible. So he's got all kinds of things against him. For fighting people, but he still dominates. So I think that's really cool. And then you know, if jujitsu is available where you're at, I would say, what's the worst that could happen? Come try, you know, go try. You know, worst case, Mm. you get choked out, but it's not like you know. I'm sure you're in good hands. You know, we why we make it a big point never to let beginners go with beginners, so that the experienced guy can kind of make sure that you know you don't get hurt. So you know, just try it out. You might hate it. But you might love it, but you'll never know unless you try. So I think you should really try. And if you're an imperial, then it, I'd love it if you came over to, came out to reach, reach out to me. And you just came try. You know, first session's free, and I'm sure first session will be free anywhere you go. Because I would say BJJ is a worldwide community. is very open and very happy to have new people join.
0: Sweet. That sounds like some sound advice. And Thank you. I guess now, what is next in your Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu journey?
1: What's next is I wanna I'm onto my purple belt and I wanna, you know, start going to competitions. Unfortunately, can't do can't train, but I look forward to training again and uh sparring with my friends, sparring with my dad, seeing if he can still kick my ass, you know. It's surprisingly <laughs> neck and neck. I'm like way bigger than him, but his jiu-jitsu is good. So it's like it's funny, you know. As you said before, so he has technique is X percentage better than mine, and I'm Y percent bigger than him. But we kind of meet in the middle, so I think that's cool. Um, so my mm. my journey is just to continue training, and I I want to compete, and that's not too seriously. And I want to try and get jujitsu, you know, keep jujitsu in my life in some capacity, and to continue rolling because i it's my thing i love it
0: fantastic man and i look forward to seeing you in purple i'm sure that'll be a great look on you
1: hell yeah purple is my favorite color
0: (laughs) awesome all right well sam thank you so much for coming on i hope you had a good time and thank you for telling the world a bit about brazilian jiu-jitsu thank you for
1: having me kenny this was fun